Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 355 of Sexology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. You're listening to another episode from our male sexual health series. So if you are a penis owner or you're in a relationship with one, you want to make sure you are subscribing, following our show, because this month we're just going to go over on all the questions you guys have sent us specifically related to male sexual functioning, male sexual wellness. So you just don't want to miss it. Today promises to be especially enlightening as we have with us a remarkable expert in the realm of Tantra, Matthias Rose. Matthias doesn't just teach Tantra, he embodies it, blending the spiritual with the sensual and grounding the teachings in both real life, intimacy and mysticism. Over a decade, he's been guiding individuals and couples, helping them tap into their full potential for physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. Today, we're delving deep into a subject that's not just about the peak moments, but understanding and controlling the journey, ejaculatory choice. What is it? How can one practice and benefit from it? And how does it transform the sexual and intimate experience of those who practice it? We'll touch upon these questions and more. And remember, I have a free offering for you guys. So if you want to spark some adventurous conversation with your partner, my invitation for you is to download our free bucket list. You and your partner can go over it separately and talk about the overlapping areas. Even if you don't want to act on those, even talking about it can bring some erotic energy to your relationship. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Matthias Rose. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Matthias Rose to our show. Matthias, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. I know you have been talking and educating public about a range of different topics, but what do you think, what are your teachings about ejaculatory control? Can you tell us more about that? Sure. For me, the discovery was through the, the learning and discovery of Tantra. And although sort of semen retention and stopping ejaculation is not a tantric virtue, it is a skill that is, is taught. And there's a lot of sort of incredible benefits from separating the ejaculatory experience from the orgasmic experience. The two are not the same. We're sort of wired. Men are wired to have them the same in our limbic system our autonomous nervous system, but it is possible to separate them. And when you do separate them, suddenly sexuality becomes a very different experience for a man. Also, what would be a difference? Well, for one thing, most women are naturally multi-orgasmic. So if, you know, a, a couple has the desire to, quote unquote, come together, then as soon as the man comes, it's kind of done. But with real sort of ejaculatory choice, which is a collaboration between partners, then a man can ride the, the same waves of pleasure, arousal, sort of orgasmic states, rather than thinking of it as a point in time, this thing happens here, 
it becomes a much more fluid experience that can be shared between the, the partners. So for our listeners that they're not familiar with this concept, would that look like kind of the male partner experiencing orga- orgasms, hold on, hold the kind of erection and go, go longer with no refractory? Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's right. Because the, the law, the, the, the shift in our brain state, our energy, our arousal is dramatic. And that's tied to the ejaculatory experience. Without the ejaculatory experience, there is none of that sudden loss of appetite, sudden, you know, exhaustion that happens. So by, by deferring ejaculation to a later time and experiencing these orgasmic waves along the way. Yeah, it's, it's definitely lasting longer. But more importantly for me, it's also going deeper with your partner because there's so much more to experience. When you shift the mindset from ejaculatory orgasm is the goal and the end to a point where orgasmic states are part of what we're sharing and discovering and, you know, part of the landscape that we're playing in. So it's kind of like going through this journey of going through the waves with your partner. But you're talking about orgasmic waves. Can you tell us more about how would that feel like? How would that look like for people? It's actually, it's pretty interesting. And it's one of the the gotchas of this. Like, obviously, if this was obvious and easy, then we wouldn't be talking about it. This would be everybody's experience. But there's a number of things that are kind of stumbling blocks along the way. And one of them is our definition of orgasm. So for a man, orgasm is very tied to that, that sharp spike of pleasure that comes with release. And one of the sort of preliminary steps is redefining what orgasm means a little bit. And that can be uncomfortable or even undesirable for some men because, you know, we're so attached, sort of addicted to this, this one orgasmic experience. But once, and, and we can talk a little bit more about what the, what this looks like as somebody sort of goes down the road of learning. But once you get to that place, the orgasmic wave is not like the ejaculatory orgasm. At first, it may seem less than, but over time, as we cultivate it, it becomes more than. And one sort of metaphor that I like to use is sort of a wave metaphor. Ejaculatory orgasm is a wave crashing on the shore. It's, you know, it's a big, pounding, frothy explosion. But a orgasmic wave is more like sort of a deep sea wave that may be tens, hundreds of feet in height, but it's not crashing. So there's a great rise and then there's a soft and gentle lull. Such a beautiful analogy. So what I'm hearing is that the ejaculation part is what that creates a drastic shift, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like people kind of like kind of going to refractory and kind of feeling a little bit. Some people feel more connected. Some people less are less connected with their partners. So I guess for people who are like the practitioners of this practice, so the idea is like go through the waves and kind of have those climax and then ejaculate or at the end also does it come with ejaculation? That's part of ejaculatory choice. You know, it depends on what everybody wants, <laughs> really. And and this is a thing that I, I find that men are not initially receptive to the idea of not ejaculating at all. So... A lot of times I might talk to somebody and like where we start is 
you know, deferring it, extending the pleasure before that final release. But over time, what people discover is that a sexual sharing can be completely fulfilling without any ejaculation. And, and it leaves you feeling sort of more energized, more, more sort of lifted up and ready for whatever is next in your life instead of that, that, okay, now I need to go to sleep. Of course, many people also sort of save sex for late at night when the kids are asleep or whatever. So there may be other reasons for like wanting that release and dropping into a nice sleep. But, but yeah, so, and also sometimes our partners really like us to come, right? There's some, there can be something very fun about that roaring orgasm that our partner has. And so, and, and some women really get some of their own sexual validation from ensuring that their partner does come in that way. So there may be many reasons to have an ejaculation, but there are also some very good reasons not to. Well, you talked about different steps. So it seems like it's the kind of journey that people go on until they master the technique. So what you were talking about delaying, is it look like edging? And last episode we talked about edging. Is it similar to that? That's definitely a tool in the toolbox. I would sort of describe one of the main techniques that a person can learn is kind of a mindful edging. Many, many teach that there's, and we have this experience, there's a point of no return. There's a point where the neurology has triggered the, the sort of the spinal cord has um, registered that we've reached the threshold. It initiates the ejaculatory orgasm. And part of delaying is finding is getting really viscerally, intuitively, somatically aware of what the steps that lead up to that are, what comes right before that point of no return. So that when we're in sort of a mindful, very conscious, very present state, we can feel exactly where we are on that sort of last mile. And we can just hold ourselves below it. So yes, it is edging, but it's a very particular sort of conscious edging. So is are all men are capable of kind of like mastering this skill or it's like it requires certain types of quality? I believe all men are capable of it. It's it's easier as you get older. It's harder when you're younger. You know, a young man has a whole lot of energy and it's really busting to get out. So, but then again, for him, the refractory period is much shorter. So it may be, you know, there may be differences in how accessible this is to people at different ages. Similarly, there's also different states of health and there's a variety of other things that can interfere with our, like, for example, having sex under the influence of drugs or alcohol is going to make this different. Some drugs may interfere with ejaculation, but that's not quite the same as ejaculatory choice and others may hasten it. So there's a variety of factors that can come into play, but I, I do believe that it's accessible to everyone. The, the main reason why some people have sort of said, oh, I tried that and it didn't work is because the journey, the path is a little, it's got these stumbling blocks along the way and it, and it takes a while. It requires some real commitment, some real diligence to push through some of the moments where you're like, I think this is terrible and get to the point where, oh my God, this is the best thing in my life. Sounds like it's such a interesting experience. And you know what's, what I hear from people at times? You can delay ejaculation with creams and the kind of sprays and there are like medication. 
And there is some, not all of them, but some of those sprains and medication creates like numbness. So it's opposite right. of what yeah. you're talking about. Like it's just a matter of like with yeah. this technique, you're doing like you're, you're doing embodiment. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I was hoping that this would come up because a lot of people do resort to it. And of course, it's being very heavily marketed by hymns and, and other folks. I think Roman as well, these sprays and creams that are essentially an anesthetic and. Okay, that's a way to diminish your pleasure to the point where you don't have an orgasm. But who wants that? Like, unless you're so focused on your partner's pleasure and that's all that you're getting pleasure from, that doesn't sound like a very good answer to me. Moreover, it doesn't necessarily work because a lot of what triggers the ejaculatory orgasm is actually our excitement level, which is not necessarily related to our pleasure level. So... You know, if the excitement rises up, it doesn't matter whether we're numb or not. So with the excitement, is it related to the ejaculation? What would be connected to orgasm? I'm just trying to kind of visualize what would be different. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I, I think that, I'm just going to go to my own experience. I think that pleasure and emotional connection are what really cultivate those sort of mountainous, non-ejaculatory orgasms. It's very hard to have that kind of powerful experience without there being, you know, real connection with the partner because uh, the union of our combined experience flows into each other. Her orgasm triggers mine. Mine triggers her. These waves flow back and forth through us. Whereas pure excitement of like, oh my God, you know, this girl's smoking hot, right? That might be great. But it's not the same thing. And that's much more likely to lead, you know, quickly to the ejaculatory. So you talk about there is an element of connection, right? Like the attunement with the partner as you're going and doing this dance with them. Is it something that's necessary for people to cultivate during, quote unquote, foreplay or outside the bedroom? I I mean, it depends a little bit on, depends a little bit where you are in your journey and your relationship. My immediate answer is, you know, for the vast majority of people, yes. You know, this is the emotional connection and the sizzling sexual energy is something that we want to keep alive in all elements of our life and in all parts of our day and in all the threads of our relationship, even when it's mundane, you know, driving to the supermarket, you know, folding the laundry, right? These are also things where if we're really in tune with ourselves and each other, we can keep that that sizzling, that that simmering energy available. And that is a wonderful both side effect of ejaculatory choice where like we don't sort of lose it all. We sort of keep that energy. And it's also something that feeds into developing and, and increasing the, the depth of that emotional and spiritual as well as physical intimacy. So yes, that said, especially like in sort of the, the Tantra world, there's a lot of skill and awareness around developing this as our own practice. Like it's not necessarily about my relationship. It's about the access that I have to myself and my own heart. And I can then bring that. So even in an ephemeral connection, you know, what I, what I often say that, you know, in Tantra, you discover you may have an ephemeral experience, but it's not a meaningless experience. There's no such thing as meaningless sex. Once you're bringing your full self in your heart to whoever you're with. You may only be with them once, but it can still be incredibly deep and powerful and profound. 
I know in our society, like, it's like, if we're thinking about heterosexual relationship, women are more socialized to have that openness and the heart and connection. And for cisgender men, it's in a way discouraged. Like they say, man up. So it's just like the opposite of that. For the male listeners that they want to kind of access that part of themselves and bring their true self kind of for one relationship. You said that there's partly is a relational individual practice. What are some of the rituals that people can do that would be helpful with that? You actually make two points there. And I want to just take a quick step back to the cultural question of masculinity and what does it look like to be a man in our society? Because I think before you even get to those practices, starting to shift our thinking about what it means to be a strong, present male, what it means to bring powerful masculine energy to our partners, to our life. And this, you know, ends up informing all aspects of our life as a person because it shows up in work. It shows up in friend relationships. It shows up in family. There's all kinds of ways where really connecting to masculinity is a really valuable precursor to some of these practices. And shifting to the notion that what it means to be powerfully masculine is to be completely open-hearted, to be completely transparent, to rip open our loving presence and let that shine out into the world, into everyone we know. That's not a feminine. The feminine has no exclusive ownership of that. It, I think it does look quite different for the masculine than it does for the feminine. And for our non-cis listeners, that doesn't matter what body you have. You know, the masculine and the feminine are energy patterns that everybody has both of. And uh, once you sort of really feel those, you can bring the masculine when it's needed. And you can also shift into a feminine when it's needed. So let's say that somebody's like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm getting this new understanding of masculinity. I want to be really open-hearted. What are the practices there? Well, there's, first of all, some of the practices are a little bit boring. So breathing practices, pranayama, some mindfulness, some meditation, learning how to really be present, to observe, to receive, to see, and to respond consciously instead of reactively. So those kinds of techniques are really powerful. And then there are techniques of something a little bit more mystical, energy. Like once we start to understand what energy is and feel it and realize that, that the masculine is a outward-focused power, and with that powerful energy, we can affect change in our partner. So then you have the partner practices of, can I change the way she's feeling by looking at her with my full conscious presence? Can I change the way we are feeling about each other by just sort of with my physical awareness, moving sort of the heart energy, the loving presence into her space and seeing that, oh my God, I don't know what the science is. It doesn't make any sense from like an electromagnetic perspective, but something is happening. 
And I agree with you. I'm glad that like newer generation, they are redefining what masculinity is. Like a new masculinity is something that people are curious about. And it's an opposite of what traditional kind of a traditional people were taught, right? Kind of like having this openness and present and having the ability to connect with the partner. I think that's, that's really uh, helpful. Anything that we haven't touched on around the ejaculatory control that you want our listeners to know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of guides out there for learning this. And I myself, like maybe a decade or so before I discovered Tantra and got serious about this, I did encounter a book, which was sort of a guide to, you know, learning how to achieve, you know, orgasm without ejaculation. I thought it sounded great started working with this book. And the first like really sort of remarkable experience I had was ejaculation without orgasm. And I was like, oh, this is the stupidest thing ever. This doesn't work. This is not what I want. That's actually a really good sign. But it's one of those early experiences, you know, that might come like a couple of weeks into doing some of some practices where it can really turn people off. And you know, my guidance there is this is the time to double down and really stick with it. Because what you've successfully done is separate orgasm from ejaculation. You know, your autonomous nervous system now knows that these are two different things. So then you just need to shift the, the balance to move instead of having the ejaculation without the orgasm, flip that, that script. So that's one sort of like really important stumbling block that a lot of people reach and then throw in the towel. Well, that makes sense. If I was kind of going through this practice, I, that would happen. I was like, forget it. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so it's yeah. great that you continued. What happened? What was this next chapter of your journey? Like, were you discouraged or you like happened oh, to discover this later? Yeah. At, at that time, I was discouraged. I threw in the towel and it sort of came back to it years later when I discovered Tantra. So then I was able to look back on my earlier experience and be like, oh, darn, I really... I got close and missed out and I didn't even know it. So, so yeah, so my, my journey then sort of came, came back to it more through sort of yoga and studying sort of tantric meditations and learning some of the, the principles of, of tantric breathing. And, and I'm a very scientific person by background. So I was very skeptical about energy at first. You know, I knew that we're not talking about electromagnetic energy or anything else that can be measured. So this is some kind of woo-woo, new age, you know, crazy talk. But once I discovered that there's actually something that's quite real and anybody can experience, even though we don't know what it is, then my scientific mind got a lot more curious. So that's where I started to really dive, dive deeper and deeper and realize that, oh, by moving energy in my body, whatever that means, but it means something, then I could really start to have these experiences. Well, for our listeners that they want to learn more about you, about your practices, what are, what are some of the places they can go to have access to your content? Oh, I have a website, dashrose.com. And I do have some, some writings linked off of there, some, some articles on Medium that kind of cover the spectrum of, of Tantra. I will say I'm in the midst of sort of revamping the website. So if you go there, I don't know when this is going to air, but if you go there, you know, in the next couple of next week or so from today, when we're recording this, it may be a little bare bones. Beautiful. It's going to be about a few weeks. So guys, you will yeah. have access to a brand new website. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll make sure that we leave the link to your website in the show notes. 
And thank you so much for talking about this with us. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. My pleasure. And that concludes our enlightening discussion for today. We ventured into the profound realm of expanding sexual experiences, and I hope it has sparked some insights for you. Remember, it's all about the journey, not just the destination. Practicing mindfulness, focusing on the breath, and understanding the distinctions in our sexual responses are key to enhancing our intimate experiences. If you found our conversation helpful or intriguing, do check out our channel on YouTube. I talk about couple sexual health, male sexual health. Our handle is at sexology podcast. I regularly update content that explore various facets of sexuality, aim at enhancing your understanding and experience. Stay curious, stay informed, and remember your path to sexual fulfillment is a journey to be embraced. Thank you for joining us and until next time. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.com sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.